0: You're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast online at medicalschoolhq.net, session number six. Hello, and welcome back to another session here at the Medical School HQ Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gray, and we are the podcast about medical school. From the pre-med process through residency, We hope to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. I want to wish all of our listeners a very happy and healthy new year. I hope this year brings you much success as you continue your journey to being a physician. For this podcast session, I had a great guest on with me. Russell was kind enough to share his story, including some very personal struggles that he and his family had on his path to medical school. Russell is a non-traditional pre-medical student, He is a 35-year-old music teacher with a wife and three children. He decided to pursue a career in medicine late in life and now has been accepted to Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. As I like to do, I begin the interview asking Russell where he is on his path to becoming a physician.
1: I applied to medical school. I submitted my application, I want to say June 30th, my AMCAS and ACOMAS applications. I think I submitted June 30th and i got a number of interviews i think i've interviewed at four or five places i was accepted at two places and at this point i've i've settled on uh, michigan state university college of osteopathic medicine um there are some places that i haven't heard from that i think if i heard from them i would have to rethink that decision but i'm i'm thrilled to be accepted at michigan state and uh preparing to to get ready for that I still have to, because I started a little late with the prerequisites and I'm doing, you know, this do my own post-baccalaureate thing, I still have to take biochemistry and genetics for Michigan State. And I have to have them done before the first day of classes, and the first day of classes is June 14th. So I'll start biochemistry January 7th, and I think genetics starts March 14th.
0: Um, all right, so you mentioned there are a couple other medical schools that you're still interested in hearing from. Uh, what schools are those, if you don't mind?
1: Um, I, I, don't wanna, I don't know that I'll mention them specifically, but there is one school in Ohio that I'm interested in. Uh, it was a good school, and my wife was offered a position just down the road. So if we, if we relocated there, she would have a job
0: okay so so that's a a location convenience factor for your wife
1: right, and so I mean i and I haven't heard anything from them and it's an m d school and I think you know at this point uh, maybe I won't okay, but certainly, if I did, I'd have to think through that very carefully, you know, when we relocate to Lansing, east Lansing, um, my wife at this point doesn't have a job, and that's pretty scary, you know uh, I mentioned in the in the liner notes that I gave you that uh, my wife has had some medical issues, as have I, and I have a son that has some, some chronic issues. So Mm. no job means no medical insurance. And that's really scary for us.
0: Yeah. And going into the medical field, you're going to be dealing with patients that are, are going to be in similar situations. So I think having you go through that experience now hopefully will be valuable to you and uh, hopefully everything works out obviously, but hopefully the experience will help you be a better physician on the other end, knowing what your patients may be going through.
1: I think so. You know, when, when we were in graduate school at Kent state uh, from 2006 to 2008, you know, I was downsized from a school in Michigan and we were in grad school and I had health insurance for nine months. That was part of my, uh, you know, the COBRA thing, but I didn't have to pay for it It because it was part of my negotiated contract as a teacher. And when that ended, my wife and I called around to get private insurance, and we could not get insurance. And, in fact, I ended up going about six or seven months with no health insurance whatsoever. Wow. My wife eventually had Medicaid. Um, But, you know, I've been through that, and it's, uh, you know... One step away from you know financial disaster really
0: yeah and it it can I, be
1: i w- I was lucky I didn't have any major health issues during that time and was eventually able to get uh, health insurance to the university at a significant cost okay they had something
0: so you're you're a non traditional student, and I, as I'm recording this it'll be when I publish this, it'll be after an interview that I just did with um, Rich from oldpremeds.org, the publisher of the oldpremeds.org website. So hopefully, our listeners listen to that interview and they kind of know what a non traditional student is. Where are you in, in your life?
1: Well, I'm 35 years old. I've, this is, I'm a, a school teacher. And this is my 11th year teaching on and off. Um, I did have two years as a graduate assistant where I was teaching classes and, uh, in there. And then I, I had one year that I took off to deal with some of my son's chronic health issues. But uh, all in all, this is my 11th year teaching. I've been married now. Our sixth anniversary will be this New Year's Eve. And uh, I have three children. I have five-year-old twins and a two-year-old. So I mean, and, and you know the the bulk of the applying to medical school thing ha- happened starting in May of 2011. Although my wife and I have talked with about that since probably 2003
0: 2004. So you've been you've been thinking about going to medical school for almost 10 years now.
1: Yeah, and well, and, and to be. Tr- truthful, you know, maybe I was thinking about it without thinking about it longer than that. And, and you know, and that was one of the things I was able to talk about in my personal statement. You know, even even when I was a, in middle school, I remember there was a magazine that had a section um, on the medical field. And it was, you know, sometimes it'd be about health insurance or specific cases. And I just remember that I would turn to that section first. And I just loved reading that section, it was, it was realistic. It wasn't dramatized like some of the stuff on TV, and, and it was so interesting to me. And then <laughs> that's not the career path I took at first.
0: And, why, why is that?
1: Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons. To, at some level, I was a successful musician in high school. I was, you know, I, I was doing very well in that field. And I got a lot of positive reinforcement for that. And I also was able to make a lot of um, useful connections in the music field that I really struggled to make. Uh, and, and I think there are a lot of factors to that. You know, my, my family was not really gung-ho about, hey, I want you to go be a doctor, I want you to go be a lawyer. They were very, you know, I think it's a good thing. They were very open to you know, do what you want to do. And, and find your own way. And so I, you know, I've talked to other people who are like, well, you know, my parents want me to be a doctor or whatever. And I just, my parents missed that message. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't relay that to me. So, and I didn't know anyone at the time that was a doctor that I could go to and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Um, I didn't understand the whole shadowing process. I, I didn't make those connections. And I did make those connections in music. It ended up in me getting a scholarship for music as well as an academic scholarship for my undergrad. Um, and in, in essence, it was a full-ride scholarship for my undergraduate classes. So there was this huge, you know, convenience thing to, you know, I can do this and, you know, I'm not going to have any debt afterwards. And for the most part, I didn't. So, you know, I enjoyed it and I was doing well in it. I had the connections to get into, you know, the university I wanted to be in, and and a way to pay for it. So that's the field that I chose, and I don't regret it. I, I enjoy music, and I think it. You know, once you're a musician, you're always a musician. It's not like I'm going to stop being a musician forever after this, but you know, it's going to change as far as its role in my life. Okay. And then, as I started working in education and in music this kept coming up about, you know, I, I kind of am interested in the medical field, at least at, you know, almost like a subconscious level. So, and you had a follow-up question you were going to ask?
0: Uh, I, I just, I wanted to figure out where along the process medicine came drifting back in. And you had mentioned some health issues with yourself and with uh, well, your wife and kids. Did that have any role in it?
1: That that is really the tipping point. Um, in two two thousand five, uh, no two thousand six, um, I had just gotten married New Year's Eve in two thousand five, and in March of two thousand six, um, you know, my wife and I had talked about having children, and and so she she had found she found out through just a pregnancy test that she was pregnant. And she went, she made an appointment with a doctor about three, two or three days in the future. And by the time she got to the doctor's office, um, she was miscarrying. Um, which was, I, I think, more difficult than on my wife than on me. I think the difficult part for me was seeing my wife go through it. Um, so that was very hard. And that same time period is when um, I was working in a school district in Michigan, and they, one of the people who was good friends with me on the school board tipped me off that they were going to downsize me. You know, school districts in Michigan are dealing with declining enrollment, and the economy is a mess. So I'm one of the many people that suffered from that. Um, so I, I knew that my employment was going to end in May. And then we had this going on. And so, you know, we, we sat down and we talked about it. And, you know, we had good health insurance at the time. We didn't know how long that would last. So We decided to go and see um, a reproductive endocrinologist. And they, and, and I should mention the year before that, my wife had had a pulmonary embolism. Hmm. And was hospitalized for several days.
0: So, some kind of coagulopathy there.
1: Exactly, and you know, we sat down with the reproductive endocrinologist, and we started talking history and um, mentioned you know as part of medical history that she had had a pulmonary embolism he 's like, "Oh, okay, and ran a, a great deal of genetic tests and and my wife has a some genetic blood clotting condition there 's four different conditions that she has
0: mm.
1: um, some are heterozygous, some are homozygous, um, but yeah, I mean the the result of that is that, you know, the ability for my wife to have a child just naturally is, is almost zero. Yeah. Um, so we did that, you know, we dealt with that and then we were forced, you know, I, I knew I was going to be like downsized. Was looking for options. I was looking for a plan B. I called one of my music connections at Kent state university and said, this is what's going on. He said, I want your application within 24 hours. They interviewed us, and they hired both of us as graduate assistants at Kent State. So, again, it wasn't like, you know, I really want to go to Kent State. They've got a great music education program. Not that it was terrible or anything, but it was really, I just need to be somewhere. I need to have some sort of employment. I needed to get a master's degree for teaching anyways. And so it was a convenience thing. And then while we were at Kent State, you know, now now we're in a different state, so we went to see a different reproductive endocrinologist. And like I said, I had nine months of health insurance as part of my union negotiated contract. They would pay for nine months of the COBRA insurance that you can get when you're laid off up to 36 months. And so during that nine months, we said, well, if we're gonna do this, this is the only time we're gonna be able to do it. So my wife actually, underwent IVF. We did two cycles of IVF, the first one um, in June or July, and it ended the same way as the first pregnancy. And then we did another one um, in October, um, and the pregnancy lasted eight weeks, but it ended up being um, uh, blighted ovum, so the uh, fetus never developed. And my wife had to have a DNC for that, and you know, right at this point, you know, we've, you know, I I'm in the middle of graduate classes. I'm learning about research in my graduate classes, and I'm talking to a doctor who's talking about all these research articles, and you know, I don't understand some of what he's saying. I'm at a university, so I have access to their online research databases, and I start just reading research so I can understand what the doctor says. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at the same time...
0: It, that, I, I have to interrupt you there for one second. If if your doctor is talking to you in a way that you have to go and look up research articles to understand what he's talking about, he might, he might need to work on his communication skills a little bit more. No,
1: I... I <laughs> Let me correct that. I mean, he's an excellent communicator. (laughs) Okay. Basics. But we're talking about, you know, my wife has four complex genetic conditions. Two of them I don't even think have a name. They just have a number code to the gene. Wow. Uh, You know, I mean, and then some of the research on like metformin and PCOS was published. We're talking about 2006. That research was published in May of 2006. Okay. So we're talking about relatively new stuff. I mean, and, and, you know, pretty research-heavy stuff. He explains the basics of it, but for me, I need to know more than that. I need to know what's going on. Okay. Um, so, and, so there was a really emotional time, and it was really hard um, for my wife and I. I was getting sicker at the time, um, but it was also really enjoyable to read that research. And, and it, there was a moment, you know, sometime November, December, where I thought, you know, I think I'm in the wrong field. I think this is, you know, this is where I need to be. And I know that being a doctor isn't all just, you know, doing research necessarily. I mean, I suppose there are some doctors that do that, but I mean, there was a really, a a realization of what I sort of felt maybe subconsciously all along. And here it was like, this is it. This is what I need to be doing. and, And I've missed this. We talked about this when my wife was pregnant with the twins. And at the time, my wife was like, So what? I'm pregnant with twins. (laughs) This is what we're doing right now. You have to put that aside. And she was right to say that, you know. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so it wasn't until after we actually had a a, a, – after the twins were born, I took a job in western Ohio. Um, My son, one of the twins, has reactive airway disease and asthma and some chronic ear infection stuff. And so I ended up leaving that position to, to deal with his medical needs. My wife stayed working and uh, my wife actually got pregnant naturally again and then lost another pregnancy. and then after that um, we had and, and this is you know we had frozen embryos from the successful cycle that the twins were born with, and we were paying to, to freeze them and my wife and I were talking about what do you do with frozen embryos? You can destroy them, you can put them up for adoption, you can transfer them, or you can donate them to science. And, and at least for us personally, the only choice we were really most comfortable with was transferring it. So we did that, and our third child, Russell, was born um, through that. And he happened to be born the year that I was off work. And after that, finally, we've got three children. All that's wrapped up. I took another teaching position when my son's health was improving. And then we sat down and my wife said, okay, you're right. You're in the wrong field. Let's see what we have to do. And so from March, 2010 to May, 2011 was, you know, gathering information, deciding how to do this. And then I started classes in May of 2011 to prepare for it.
0: And the the classes that you're talking about uh, are uh, a postback program.
1: Well, I didn't even know postback programs existed. I probably would have done it a lot easier had I known. But I also live in a really rural area, and there is a branch campus um, that offers some of the classes I need close by. But there's no major university. You know, um, the, the major university that ended up taking some of my classes is an hour and a half drive away. Um, So I took, you know, I I really assembled my own post-baccalaureate program. I did some at the branch campus in town. I did some at the main university an hour and a half away. I took some classes from Oregon State University. They have this e-campus hybrid online class thing. Um, So there's some online portion and some in-person portion. And so I I put that all together into this make-my-own post-bacc program. And I didn't really find out about post-bacc programs until... I went to the old pre-meds conference. Uh, when did I go to that? This summer, I guess. 2011. 2012. In Orlando? Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. How did you find the old pre-meds?
1: Um, I, I just, you know, when, when my wife were ta- wife and I were talking about, you know, I wanted to do this, I just started doing research and I... The first thing that came up was studentdoctor.net. I think it's studentdoctor.net. Yeah. And then somewhere along the line, I don't know if, I can't remember now if there's a forum because I don't go to that website too often. There was a link to the old pre meds thing. And so I went to the site and it's just like, oh, this is so helpful because, you know, in a lot of ways, I didn't know what I was doing as far as preparing for medical school.
0: So. Okay. Yeah. it's a, a good site to prepare. In in um your kind of feedback that you gave to me, you had mentioned that you are or were more interested in applying to and going to a DO schools or osteopathic schools over an MD school. Why why is that?
1: Um, my sister in law is a DO, and you know, growing up. My parents almost exclusively took us to DOs for, you know, family practice, pediatric treatment, and I've had very good experience with that. And I also think that, you know, DOs have it right in a lot of ways uh, as far as the holistic approach to medicine and that, you know, everything relates to everything else. And I think, you know, if I were an MD, I'd still believe that and it would probably still be part of my practice. But I might as well, I mean, if, you know, if I've got a school that sort of agrees with that, then then I kind of would prefer to go there.
0: So you went through, you did your kind of a do-it-yourself post back program, and you took the MCAT and applied for MD, DO schools. How competitive were you, if, if you don't mind? what What kind of grades did you have? What kind of MCAT score did you have?
1: Uh, my, my grades have always been strong, and, and um, in the postback program, I did 65 credits of postback on quarters from May 2011 to September 2012 while I was working full-time, and I had a job in the evening as well. So I was working two jobs, taking 65 credits over that time, and I have a 4.0, except for the very first class I took in May 2011 was Chemistry 231, and I got a B plus. It was the first chemistry class I had in seventeen years. <laughs> and you know, it was I, I probably could have done better than that. I just made stupid mistakes because <laughs> I just some of the vocabulary stuff I didn't have, you know.
0: Well so, I I'm surprised you got into med school. Yeah, with one B plus. I mean that's kinda well,
1: I have significantly more than one B plus, <laughs> but in the sciences my GPA really? is very, very good. So I okay. think I'm very competitive that way. Yes, my sounds GTA, like it. Or um, my my MCAT is not as competitive. I only have a 28, but I went about it all wrong, and I probably would do it differently now. Uh, I didn't do any Kaplan, whatever prep course. I just did a couple of, really just a couple of practice tests on the MCAS or you know AAMC website, and then took the MCAT in the middle of organic chemistry, physics. And um, I forget what other class I was taking. I was taking three classes. In the middle of those classes, the last organic chemistry of the three-class series, the last physics of the three-class series, and um, I can't remember what the other class was. And, and right in the middle of that, took the MCAT. And I think, boy, if I'd prepared for it, I would have done better. So, I mean, that's really mod- modulated and mediated my com- competitiveness, I think. I think I would have been more competitive with a higher MCAT score.
0: How many practice tests did you take? Two. Wow. Two. <laughs> yeah.
1: So. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, I live yeah. and learn. Uh, I think a 28 is a, a great score based on the kind of preparation that you put into it. Um, no. And I'd be surprised if you if you prepared even with a couple more practice tests, you would have scored off the charts, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think if, I really think if I, had taken biochemistry before I took it, I think that would have helped, even though it's not supposed to be on there.
0: Yeah, well, it is now.
1: <laughs> well, the new ones, that the, is, I think it starts in 2000. 2015,
0: yeah. There's a, the, the trial section they're putting in for 2013 and 2014 that you don't have to take, but it's recommended.
1: So, the, I mean, in, but in, in, in some ways, having having that 28 has been problematic more so than having either, either a higher or a lower score because, you know, if it were lower, I would have just withheld my application and and retaken it and done a prep course and, and, and that. And if it were higher, I wouldn't have had to do that. I would have been a good applicant, but it's that in between thing where it's really high enough that I don't necessarily want to delay my application and retake it. But then when I go to interviews and this has happened a couple of times, I think, and I, and I, I try to explain, you know, where I am with this score, it looks like I'm not serious about medical school. Like this is sort of just a flippant, you know, I guess I'll just take the MCAT thing, which is not what it was. Uh, But, you know, it's been a a difficult thing to deal with in interviews.
0: Interesting. Now, as a non-traditional student coming in a little bit older, more life experience do you find there's a difference between DO and MD in the application process and going through your interviews?
1: I think DOs are more open to non-traditional students. At least, it it certainly seems that way to me.
0: In what respect? Why do you think that?
1: Uh, I guess I I don't really know. It's just that when you go into the interview, when I've interviewed for MD schools, I've been traditionally the only non-traditional student in, in the room, you know, there'll be 10 students interviewing and, and every student will be under the age of 24, except for me. Um, and the students that give you the little tour of campus are all under 24 or 25. And I mean, at the MD schools, I've really been the only non-traditional student. And then I think in interviews, you know, listen, I'm 35 years old and, you know, some 23-year-old comes into that medical interview and they're so excited to get an interview and go to medical school, they're like uh, maybe a, a giddy little school child, you know. I'm 35 years old. I'm not in that point in my life. I'm glad to be going to medical school, but I'm not going to be jumping all up and down, and and so maybe it seems like I'm, I don't really want to be there, but it's just it's, you know, <laughs> I'm at a different point in my life, and I think DO schools are, are more open to that and, and I can talk to them and they listen to my words more than look at my demeanor. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, and with DO schools, I will say that I, each one that I've interviewed for, I have not been the only non traditional student.
0: So you, you felt a little bit different uh, with the interviewers. You were surrounded by a little bit more of, more of your peers at the DO schools. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That makes sense. Now, it it seems to be a, a general, um, con- the the general consensus is that Do schools are a little bit more friendly to to non traditional students. I just wanted to hear your take on it. Oh. Yeah,
1: and I, and I do think they are. And
0: yeah, how many schools did you apply to?
1: I applied to somewhere around twenty. I think it maybe eighteen or nineteen. I applied to nine MD schools. Maybe most of the schools in Ohio are MD schools. And I applied to maybe 10 DO schools.
0: Okay. And those schools were chosen based on what parameters?
1: The bulk of them were chosen, you know, because I've straddled my life between Michigan and Ohio, uh, there is some amount of opportunity to get in-state tuition and in-state residency in Michigan and Ohio. So uh, most of the schools I applied to were in Michigan and Ohio. Uh there are a few outliers um that I applied to. Um, I have an acquaintance that goes to a school in in the Midwest, more you know, more west of the Midwest, and uh encouraged me to apply there, so I did. Um, but and there you know, there, like I said, there are a few outliers um but most are in that area. And they're mostly good schools. I mean Ohio has some good medical schools. Yeah. As does Michigan. So I mean I can't really complain there that I'm that I limited my you know, call to this area. Okay. What if Ohio State University calls me and wants to interview me, I will probably have to take that interview. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) What what was one of the harder questions that you got on the interview trail?
1: Explaining my NCAT score and why it wasn't you know, it's a disconnect. You know, here I have this grade point average, which is like 3.95 or something, and then only a 28 on the MCAT. So explaining that and explaining, um, you know, why I didn't take the MCAT more seriously, it, those questions were, you know, they're hard for me to answer. I don't, I don't have a really good answer. This is how things happened. I was doing 65 credits and working two jobs and doing everything I can. You know, I, it, it can't be perfect. So it's hard to come up with a good answer for those questions. Um, why, Why, as a non traditional student, do you want to go to medical school? I know the answer, but people who don't normally work with non traditional medical students don't always get the answer, even if you say it. Um, so that's a struggle. I mean, you think, I think if you were a non traditional student interviewing, you really have to very carefully word that answer and find try to find a way and I don't and I haven't found a good way to 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 connect with someone who's not used to dealing with non-traditional students but if you could that'd be an advantage
0: yeah that's that's an interesting way to put it the the fact that the the person receiving the answer might not truly understand or accept the answer because they're not they're not used to it
1: yeah I mean people hear what they want to hear regardless of what you're saying um and it's a uh, it's hard to explain to a person, you know, what motivates you to do something when they're so far removed from that situation.
0: Well, I want to end with a, a quick question that I I like to ask. And it's, what do you know now that you wish you knew going into the whole pre-med process?
1: (laughs) I, I I wish I'd known that they were set up post-baccalaureate programs that you could just go and do (laughs) that for one thing, that probably would have been easier.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I don't know. I, I I wish I would have just done this earlier. You know, I could have just maybe gone and done this when I was downsized in 2006 and been farther ahead. So I just wish I hadn't waited to do it. But at the same time, my life experiences are what they are, and, you know, I, I don't regret them. It's, it's part of who I am.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that it gives you a good story to... Tell and you have told on the interview trail, I, as we had talked about earlier. I think it's a, a great experience ha, having that life experience behind you as you go through medical school, as you try to handle the, the daily stresses of medical school, the daily stresses of the clinical rotations, and then internship and residency. I think you'll, you'll have a different perspective coming in, having your life experiences and knowing that every minute of the day is not the end of the world, that there's more outside of what you're doing at that exact minute. And and I, I found, because I took three years off between medical school and, and undergrad, and it, just taking those three years off, it, it gives you perspective to know that there's more and to take a breath and calm down and, and you'll survive
1: Well, and that's true. I've certainly learned in my life not to get worked up about things that, especially if you can't change the situation, you know, to learn to let go of those things and move on.
0: Well, folks, there you have it. That was our interview with Russell. I hope you got some valuable information from Russell as he shared a lot of great information about his struggles to get to medical school. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and give us a call on our question voicemail line, 617-410-6747, or shoot us an email through our website at medicalschoolhq.net. As always, you can find our show notes at medicalschoolhq.net slash session six. I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.